All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're looking at, I got to look across, I'm in another studio. We're about 25 minutes till 7 o'clock. Robert Steinbach will be with us next hour. We'll also hear from uh, Congressman French Hill. He made a trip down to uh, the southern border yesterday, so he'll be reporting on that with us, hear what he has to say about that. But our special guest this uh, this hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show, and we're going to have him back on when the uh, when when both studios are working here. If you just joined us, we're having all kinds of computer issues this morning, and uh, Jeff and I were just talking, and uh, I said, "Yeah, technology's great when un- unless it isn't." <laughs> and right now, it's one of those times that it it kind of isn't right now. But Jeff Kinley is our guest. He is the author of a new book. It's called Interview with the Antichrist. His hour has come. It just dropped last week, last Tuesday, I understand. And since that time has been, I'm going to say hotly received, not warmly received. But Jeff, you got to be really happy with the way it's been received thus far. Well, I am. And I think it just is just testimony to the fact that this is really striking a chord, a need. I mean, people want to know what is going to happen in the future. And, and fortunately for us, God says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to know what's going to happen. And so he puts it right there in his word. So I wrote this novel based upon what God says is going to happen. Okay. So what's what do you think will be, well, maybe that's not a question. I don't, I don't want to blow the book for everybody because there's probably a lot of people out there that aren't believers that are going to read this book. Uh, and then there's a lot of believers that have no idea what's what's coming our way. But the bottom line is, is that uh, are there things that are in this book that uh, a lot of Christ followers are going to go, well, I didn't know that was, you know, kind of doing the Scooby-Doo <laughs> kind of thing, right? Absolutely. And, you know, what I did was I basically surveyed through the book of Revelation, end times events, and uh, chose the ones I thought would be most pertinent to this character and how he responds to it. You know, typically we read Revelation, we're thinking about the Christians on earth during that time that are suffering through that persecution. Think about the Jews. Think about, But no one thinks about what's the Antichrist thinking. Yeah. And so basically I, I portrayed this book through this young journalist and his relationship with the Antichrist and what that dynamic might look like. And I think through doing that, you sort of get a, a – a, behind the eyes scene of some of the events that take place, but it also kind of gets you in the emotion of it as well, Dave. Okay. So let me ask this question. You've, you've written this kind of fictional account and then, and people are, are buying the book. They want to read it. Just think if you'd written this book, just as a straight on eschatology, you'd, you'd be, I don't know, have a few hundred copies sitting over in the corner somewhere, keeping a door yeah. propped open. That's, why yeah. is it, why is it that, you know, the real meat doesn't seem to draw people, but they really, really, you know, get into the fictional kind of thing. That's a great question. And I think part of the answer is the fact that people love a narrative. They love a story. Uh, People love movies. Uh, I've had several people tell me this book reads like a movie. Uh, People are drawn into that sort of story uh, setting. And so I think putting it this way, my wife puts it this way, is that this novel is sort of like breadcrumbs leading them to the truth uh-huh. because at the end of the book, I have a section called Meet the Antichrist. Which I, I, I spent a little bit of time looking at. Nice yeah. job. Well, thank you. Uh, it's 30 questions that, that people typically ask about the Antichrist. I answer them straight from Scripture. Yeah, here's the big, here's the big one everybody wants. Who is it? We don't know. <laughs> right. That's the answer. We that, don't that know. That is the answer, yeah. In fact, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us that uh, – that the day of the Lord, the revelation of the Antichrist, will not come until the restraining influence is taken away 
I take that to mean the Holy Spirit in the church and the rapture, uh, my personal view. Uh, but no, we're not going to know. People ask me, well, is it Hillary? I was like, well, no, it's not <laughs> Hillary because the Antichrist is a man. You know, so, yeah, that's true. That's one thing. That's so, true. Uh, <clears throat> but people have tried. And the Antichrist can't even be that evil. Well, you know, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I had to throw that in. (laughs) Well, people do that. We we recognize these nefarious creatures, these these political figures. Yep. And we go, yeah, it must be them. But some of these political figures may have some of the characteristics that may, you know, lean towards that. But we're talking about the full embodiment of evil itself. And uh, believe me, Hillary is not that evil. Uh, You know, the world leaders that we see right now that are ruling nations, they're not, Putin's not evil enough. Antichrist is going to be filled with Satan. That's that. That's really should scare people when they think about it that way. Think about the, think about Hitler. Mm-hmm. He doesn't embody all the evil that right. the Antichrist will have. That's right. And, and, you know, again, second Thessalonians tells us that, that the Antichrist is going to be a deceiver. Uh, he's going to have a deluding influence on people. And the thing about it is when people when you're deceived, the by definition you don't know you're being deceived. That's right. And so uh the Antichrist is going to come in with a platform of peace and safety. Uh, he's gonna promise many things, he's gonna give them that hope and change. Uh but in the end, what's gonna happen? He's gonna turn on the world. All right. Well let's talk a little bit about you. We'll make this a little bit personal now. You you're a, a great storyteller. So something in your past got you where you wanted to tell stories. What what was it? Well, it's very interesting. Uh, I was telling the group this week at Little Rock Christian Academy, speaking to about 600 high school students all week and on Bible prophecy, and I related to them that I had never read anything deeper than a comic book by age 16. Nothing bad about that now. <laughs> That's That's, right. getting, oh, it's a great world to be in. personal right now. <laughs> That's right. <yeah. laughs> But something happened in my life at age 16, and that's when I met Jesus Christ, and everything changed for me. Okay. Uh, and it got me into reading for, for the first time, reading actually things uh, of depth. I love movies. I watch movies all the time. And so there's that, that narrative, that scene. When I write books, I, I see the movie in my head. Good. And that's how I write books. And so uh, for me, when people read my books, the ones that I've written uh, that are fiction-based, uh, they say, well, I can see these scenes in my mind. So uh, I think that's maybe just a gift God's given me. Well, I, I kind of like the whole kind of fictional narrative with nonfiction information because uh, I read a book, oh, this was about a year ago, about Peter. Mm. And I never really, I understood Peter from what I read in Scripture, but this person had really fleshed it out even more, made it much easier mm-hmm. to understand that way. Yeah. I yeah. guess maybe our heads work that way. I don't know. Well, it's very interesting. Uh, a lot of millennials right now who would never read a historical book on World War II, they'll never pick up Stephen Ambrose or anything. Right. But they're reading historical fiction about World War II. I mean, that's the thing. People love a story. They, they love to be drawn into it. They love to see themselves in the story. And what I do in this story is I, I, I let people feel like they're in the room. That's the main thing. Okay. Do, you, does it, do the people feel, the reader feel, as they're reading the book, that they're the reporter? Or I would have done this if I'd been the reporter. Yeah. I think you feel what Julian is feeling, this young 28-year-old journalist. You feel the tension. Uh, you feel the intimidation. Uh, you feel the, the, the exploration of new experiences that he's going through. And, and there's a lot of different emotions that you ride on this journey with him. Okay. So how long does it take for you to put a book like this together? How long was this in the process of being written? Yeah. Well, I um, – I just saw on my Facebook feed, like one year ago, what you were doing, I was at a mountain cabin 
finishing up this story. Locked away. Locked away completely. It just It's kind of a creepy experience, to be honest, But uh, <laughs> to get all alone in a mountain cabin. But uh, I'm a little bit of a city boy, to be honest. Yeah. But uh, but to answer your question, it usually takes me, because I do this full-time, uh, beginning to end, about four to five months to get a whole story together. And then, of course, you're, you're in the, the post-production uh, stage there with design and all that stuff. So about a year total process. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. we got to get some traffic for folks. they got to have that, just like their coffee. We had to have coffee. They need the information. We're going to get that, give you the weather, all of that coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're looking at about uh, 17 minutes to 7 o'clock. Don't forget Robert to be here in the 7 o'clock hour, and so will Congressman French Hill. It's the Dave Ellswick Show, 1011 FM, the answer, home of the Rush Limbaugh Show. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show, 1011 FM, the answer, home of the Rush Limbaugh Show. Rush will be around at 11 o'clock today. Sean Hannity coming up at 2 o'clock, so you won't want to miss that. And then... Uh, who we got coming up at 5 o'clock again today? Sekolo is coming in, right? Yep. A Sekolo will be here. Of course, I don't know whether it would be Jay or Jordan. Maybe Jordan the son because Jay is kind of busy these days in the White House. So he's he's a busy, busy character. I remember when you could get him just by – I could call his phone at home and say, Jay, can you do an hour today? Yeah, sure, Dave. <laughs> doesn't work that way anymore. I call and the gatekeeper is there. And then you try to have to work your way past the gatekeeper, and that's not easy. That's not been the case with Jeff. Jeff was really easy to work with. Jeff Kenley is my guest. He's a new author of, well, he's not a new author. He's the author of a new book, Interview with the Antichrist. His hour has come. It's a fictionalized uh, book dealing with the book of Revelation. Uh, let's talk about the mark of the beast, because everybody wants to talk about Anything happens that, you know, I'm, I'm going to use a debit card. <gasps> You're taking the mark, Dave. Yeah. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. That's not happening. I mean, how do you, how did you, how did you work all of that in? I remember uh, years ago, I, when we uh, moved to, to Mobile, Alabama, the, we got a new phone number. It began with 666. Oh, no. <laughs> the, the, uh, the uh, lady at the phone company said, do you have a problem with that? I said, no, as long as you don't put it on my hand or my forehead, I'm fine. You know? <laughs> but, yeah, the mark of the beast gets a, a lot of press, and it's it's really interesting because uh, uh, Scripture says that, that there will be a, an identifying mark uh, that the Antichrist will require of all humanity in the second half of this seven-year period, and the mark will really serve two purposes. It'll, it'll number one, uh, be your economic passport. Yeah, because you uh, can't buy or sell anything. That's right, and, and it really will, will cause people to – uh, become one in this world economy. You know, the, the, the European Union, the whole Euro thing has tried to unite Europe. Well, Antichrist will do that uh, through this uh, new uh, mark. And the second thing about it, Dave, is that it will identify you as a worshiper of the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Now, that is kind of the game changer because uh, it's one thing to kind of get on board with an economic program, but it's a whole nother deal to say, I'm going to worship this man who now is claiming to be God in the flesh. So uh, the Greek word there is the word karagma. Uh, it's a word that was used as a, a tattoo in the first century or some sort of a identifying mark. Uh, of course, you have the 666 aspect of that. Right. People ask what that's going to be, and uh, uh, people have used the uh, the Hebrew uh, gematria, which is a, a way of assigning numerical uh, values to uh, letters of the alphabet. And of, course, of course, that comes up as everybody, as John F. Kennedy to uh, Richard Nixon to Henry Kissinger and you all these it, other people. You name it, they'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I don't think we're going to be able to figure that out until the Antichrist actually is appeared. I don't think that believers personally are going to be there at that time. Uh, but the world's going to know. 
And uh, it is going to be an identifying mark that's going to be required for every person on planet Earth. All right. I always like to remind people that it says, as it, as it was in the days of Noah, shall, so it shall be in the last days. It was really dark in the times of Noah. Yeah. Yeah. It was so dark, God destroyed humanity, that's basically. Right. That's right. That's pretty doggone dark. Yeah. And you know that passage uh, in Jesus that Jesus spoke of, the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, verse 37, you just quoted. Uh, when you rewind back to the days of Noah, what you see is these emerging characteristics that are rising out of humanity and the godlessness, the violence, the sexual immorality, uh, just a sense of apostasy. Wait, 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 wait. Are you talking about Noah or are you talking <laughs> right. about now? Exactly. And that's the point <laughs> is that uh, and when I wrote the book, as it was in the days of Noah, I showed how we're in the process of ramping up to another days of Noah. And as you look around, Dave, you see we're, we're just we're pushing God out of every aspect mm. of our society. And you know, at some point, you know, Romans chapter one says at some point, God just says, well, if that's what you want, I'll let you have, have it. it. That's right. And so that's, we're seeing really the effects of that in our society right now. I mean, I think about the bad things that are going on right now, and God is still in play. I cannot imagine what it will be like when he removes his hand. Right. It, it's going to be like a, a dam break, a really a tsunami of sin. It's going to be Mardi Gras on steroids and across the whole world. And, and, and the thing about it is that, you know, God is currently holding back, I think, through the church, through believers. Uh, I would agree with sin. that. And uh, but when we're gone, who's going to speak up for the unborn? Uh, who's going to speak up for traditional marriage? You know, right now, if you'd have said ten years ago that pedophilia was going to be something that uh, the American Psychiatric Association is going to be saying, well, it's really not a. It's not I a disease. did. Nobody, everybody <laughs> said I was nuts, but yeah, I did. Right, and I I did too. And people like us, we we have our fingers on the pulse of society and culture. We can see those things coming. But, you know, nowadays they're saying that we need to destigmatize pedophilia. Mm-hmm. On, on a recent HGTV show, they had a thruple uh, together, a man and two women who were living as a, a, a three-married couple kind of thing. Those types of things were unheard of in, in our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation. But now they're being accepted worldwide. Well, they might have been heard of, but nobody would talk about right, it right. openly. Or, yeah, you know, tolerate. and it wasn't, it wasn't accepted. Well, that's just the way they want to live. Yeah. Just let them, you know, that whole thing. Uh, now it's, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, and he barred the door. Right. Right. Can you imagine a world where there are no Christians, uh, to speak against, uh, immorality and it's just, again, it's, it's just a floodgate. Well, immorality will be all there is. There'll be right. no more morality. Right. That's right. Everybody will be doing as they see fit in their own yeah. life. Well, as I told this group uh, this week, this group of high school students, I said, you know, if, if you were to take God out of the picture, just leave him out of the story for a second, man left to himself will mess this thing up. I mean, we're bad really bad as we are. So we don't really need any help because our sin nature and that type of thing yep. will just take over. And that's what we're going to see. Uh, we're going to see our sin nature in the days of Noah that are coming again in the days of the Antichrist. Uh, it's going to be a day where the sin is going to reign, that depraved mind is going to be controlling things. And, of course, the Antichrist is the epitome of that. Right now in, in, in the, uh, the culture we live in, the term that is used constantly that I literally hate mm. is my truth. Well, my truth is this and my truth is that. And we argue this point on the air constantly. There is only one truth. Right. The truth is the truth. It don't care if that's your truth yeah. or not. It's the truth. Exactly. Yeah, people love to say that because it makes them feel good about the choices that, that sure. they've made. 
But guess what? Hitler had his truth. Stalin had his truth. So what makes their truth bad or good unless you have an absolute standard of truth to measure it against? Yeah, if you don't have that, well, it's like my grandfather used to say, if you fall for this, you'll fall for anything. That's right. And it, it's very, very, it's very true. Yeah. All right, so things, everything is going well as far as your book is concerned. People are reading it. They want to hear it. Uh, what's your thoughts? Is there a possibility somebody might want to take, or want, maybe one of the Christian filmmaking uh, businesses out there want to bring this to the big screen for you? Well, you never know. You know, I wrote the uh, the Brandon Burlesworth story years ago, and that became a movie. So uh, you, you never really? know. Really? Yeah. I didn't know you wrote that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's called Greater. Yeah. The movie. So uh, you never know when someone might take a fictional story and turn it into a, a movie type thing. I've got a, a couple of guys that are screenwriters that uh, said, hey, s- send me a copy of this thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where I think that, again, it's a compelling story. It's based on truth. And uh, I think people are, once they get into it, now I had a lady say the other day, she said, anytime I see the word Antichrist, I run. And I said, well, yeah. you don't need to run. No. Uh, because the st- we win in the end. This thing. Well, that's the whole thing. I never understood people who were afraid. Yeah. That's why, I mean, 365 times mm-hmm. uh, in the Bible says, be not afraid. Right. Yeah, know, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a command. It is. In fact, it's the, the most often repeated command in the Bible is do not fear. And so the thing I love about this story and God's story, obviously, is that the conquering Christ comes back in the end. And people are going to find at the end of this book, people come all the time and say, Jeff, how do I get people to read about Revelation? I said, look, this book is a book you can give to people. In the end, it gives them opportunity to trust Christ there as your Savior. All right. So is there going to be interview with the Antichrist part two? <laughs> Well, if this book continues to do well, I, I've got two others in this trilogy. Okay, that I'm you got a about. trilogy. Yeah. Okay, that's <laughs> so, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. we got to get to the point. I've always wondered what that will look like now with all the special effects they yeah. got yeah. when they do the return of Christ. I mean, I, you, you yeah. hear about it, talk about it in in, in biblical account that the mm-hmm. the sky is going to roll back like a right. scroll. Right. And I think about that, and I go, you know, everybody's going to be going about their normal lives, and all of a sudden, this this huge event that's going to change the whole history of man is going to happen. And I've always wondered what it's going to be like. Yeah. I don't think Hollywood can even touch well, what I'm, it's going I'm to be like you. when, when Jesus comes back, it's going to be an epic event. In fact, Revelation one seven says every eye will see. Him. Yeah. Speaking of technology, you know, that may be that, that supernatural event where every person is tuned in. You know, right now, if something happens across the world in a minute or two, we know about it. So. Well, that's when we, we all have to get a chip in our brain. <laughs> and the government will tune us in. I'm, yeah. I'm sure that that's, uh, that's what's going to happen. Jeff, this has been really a fun time with you uh, spending this hour. I had, uh, thought we'd do 30 minutes. We ended up doing an hour. I'd like to have you back. Love and I had no idea that you wrote Greater. Mm-hmm. That was a great movie, so, and uh, I hadn't read the book. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that much about Burlesworth. I'm not from the South originally, uh, but he sounds like a good old Southern boy to me and uh, had a big heart and had a great impact on people. So, okay, I got, how long do I got? I got 60 seconds? Okay, 60 seconds. (laughs) Let me ask, what was it about that story that said to you, I got to write this? My father-in-law, long-term, long-time Razorback fan, uh, said to me, if you write your next book, it's got to be on this kid. And I did the research, and I just thought, man, this guy is too good to be true. But everything was true about it. And uh, it was an emotional experience to write the book, uh, to see it come out, and, of course, to see the movie happen as well. 
All right. Well, it's great to have you on. I hope this turns into a movie. We need some movies like this. I just went and saw Call of the Wild last night. Mm. Let me just tell you, it's a great family mm. film. Mm. Go see it. You'll enjoy it. Jack London's one of my favorite authors. You'll enjoy that. And, Jeff, we'll get you on here in the near future again. I That's really good. want to have you back on. Thanks for having me on, Dave. All right. Let's take a quick break. we got news coming your way, and then we'll be back with more. Uh, Robert Steinbach will join us, of course, a legal professor over at the Bowen School of Law, and we'll hear from Congressman French Hill. That's all coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 1011 FM, the answer, home of the Rush Limbaugh Show. Second hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. It's a Friday. Makes me happy. Everybody says, but Dave, you work on Saturday. Yeah, but I don't have to get up until 7 a.m. Oh, that's a late morning. Yeah, you got that right. I get up at 3 o'clock every morning to come in here to do the morning show. And uh, 7 o'clock is like really getting to sleep in. That's like 2.30 in the afternoon for everybody else. (laughs) It's about the truth. Robert Steinbach is here in the studio. My thanks again to Jeff Kennelly. Uh, for joining us uh, to talk about his newest book called Interview with the Antichrist. He is the man, uh, as I just found out at the end of the interview, wrote the book Greater, uh, that the movie about Burlesworth was based on. And uh, that in and of itself would have been a great hour show to sit and talk about writing that book. But with no further ado, let's uh, talk to Congressman French Hill. He's on the phone with us today. Typically we do Wednesdays, but he was down on the southern border and it wasn't to have a margarita. How are you today, Congressman? Dave, I'm doing great. Good morning to you. Glad to be with you. And uh, yes, I made my sixth trip to the border in the four and a half years uh, and was down in Arizona this time. Nogales, oh, yeah. south of Tucson, over about 100 miles to Lukeville. And Lukeville is where I saw about 20 miles of very tall, very sturdy, brand new uh, fencing going in. Oh, cool. You know, Nogales is where I, I always talk about because that's when I came down to uh, Arizona and I was on the King Anvil Ranch down there. And uh, that's when the Minutemen were on the border helping out, trying to stem the tide of illegals coming across. And when I was down there in Nogales, the police chief disappeared and he showed back up minus his body. His head was on a pike. I mean, the uh, the cartels rule down there. Do they still rule down there? Well, I think they've made tremendous uh, improvements in Nogales itself uh, compared to the other cities I've been in, like uh, that are smaller, like Laredo or Del Rio right. or McAllen. They have uh, the parallel road system. They have the full bollard wall with uh, uh, lighting and cameras that are far superior to what I saw in the Rio Grande Valley 
for all of Nogales, plus two miles on either side of Nogales. So I'd say the technology in the Arizona border is superior. Um, and we went to the uh, Bell uh, Ranch and visited with uh, the Chiltons and the Kings, uh, all who ranch right there on the border. And their report was it's a daily human trafficking. These are all young mm-hmm. men, no families, all trafficking drugs, uh, mostly marijuana in 50-pound rope packs on their backs and they're caught on their game cameras every day um and we visited with the uh, penal uh, uh penal county yep. sheriff who sits above about 60 miles from the border on just how many people he interdicts on i-8 so i think there's still a significant trafficking uh human and drug trafficking problem in southern arizona but it's nothing compared to what it was and i think that's because the wall has been built in key areas and where they don't have the wall they have this extensive aerial and uh tower surveillance yeah i got pieces of the fencing they were still working under the bush administration putting all that up and uh i got pieces of that that i got bookcases that i keep stuff like that that are keepsakes for myself and i've got that uh for myself is there is there's a state park down there? Do they still have the signs up saying that you should be aware of, you know, the the drug traffickers and things? Yes, uh, both in the national park, the monuments, uh, and those signs are still very much up. I think what one big change that I noted uh, was we visited with the chairman of the uh, Tejano Indian tribe which, as you recall, has 2.3 million acres right Mm -hmm. to the immediate west of Nogales and covers about 67 border miles. Well, they they believe, and, you know, from their heritage, that their tribe extended on lands on both sides of the border. So they're resistant to any kind of a impenetrable wall structure across that 67 miles. But they've given us leases on two forward operating bases on that border, right within four miles of the border in the desert. And they've given us the ability to put up seven of our surveillance towers across the reservation and build a parallel road along their border. So they're um, out in the press last week complaining about the border wall, saying President Trump had not consulted sufficiently with them. But in fact, they, in my view, from these meetings, have been pretty cooperative with Border Patrol from a technology and surveillance point of view. I'll, you, I'll put it this way. It's an improvement. It's if you just joined us, uh, Congressman French Hill on with us. Uh, he has just made another tour of the southern border. Now, you, a lot of yours has been over in the San Diego area. This time you're down in in the uh, the Arizona area of, of the border. Uh how do for our listeners how do those areas differ well the desert uh is remote dangerous and difficult to cross and san diego tijuana is completely urban with uh businesses and warehouses and life backing right up to the fence corridor yep. on both sides so that urban versus extremely harsh rural environment uh both present tough challenges. In San Diego, you had tunneling. In San Diego, you have hundreds of people in line 
coming to the border at the port of entry and presenting themselves uh, as a foreigner seeking asylum in the United States. Uh, And you have most of the drugs uh, that are coming in to the country. They're coming in in cargo, coming in in a vehicle, coming in in a truck, coming in a rail car that the customs folks are not able to adequately uh, screen. So, uh, but I will say in San Diego, they've had fencing uh, listeners since 1990. They've had a parallel road system all that time, lighting, cameras, uh, and surveillance. And so they've cut down dramatically since 1990, the people who are just, quote, crossing, uh, trying to get into the United States at San Diego. Um, you know, they had a period in the 90s where they had a lot of tunneling. Uh, from Mexican warehouse into U.S. warehouse, and that's been uh, severely uh, curtailed as well. Congressman, this is Robert Steinbuck. Uh, It's good to talk with you again. Maybe we can shift relatedly to domestic politics uh, involving illegal immigration. My original state, I used to say my home state, but Arkansas is my home state. My original state is New York. And up in New York, they just passed a law that they are, pardon me, giving out driver's licenses to illegal aliens. And they have now a two-tiered driver's license system. And the claim, of course, is, oh, well, this makes people safer because apparently by taking an administrative test, you've become a proficient driver. Before then, you didn't know how to drive, by the way. But once you take this test designed largely to get revenue for the state, now you're a proficient driver and everybody's safe. And, by the way, those people that used to drive illegally without a license because they couldn't get a license wouldn't do so now if they didn't pass the test. So there's more holes in that than Swiss cheese, and thank goodness we don't have that notion down here in Arkansas. But yet. How, yet, indeed. Uh, how much more challenging it, is it for you as a congressman uh, on a state in the South uh, to try to make national policy when you see these leftist governors, etc., enacting laws that act as magnets for illegal aliens? Well, I think, Robert, the best thing we can do is get members of Congress to the border as many times as possible, meet with local sheriffs, county judges, meet with the Border Patrol, uh, meet with local landowners and business people, and get a dose of reality about what it's like along the border. And also recognize that it's not one size fits all. A strong 30-foot bollard uh, border wall works perfectly in some places, and it's very challenging and overly expensive in others. And therefore, uh, our most sophisticated border technology uh, is uh, a you know a better substitute on some thousand foot cliff that goes straight down into the Rio Grande River. Um, so, to me. This was a bipartisan priority of the United States in the 1990s. It was voted for by Democrats and Republicans, which is to have good physical border security and have good surveillance of our customs uh, as billions of dollars of goods come across the border from San Diego to Brownsville. I think we have to keep at it. Our guest is uh, Congressman French Hill. He's going to be back with us. Got to get your traffic and weather here. Robert's here as well. He's got other questions. I've got questions. Everybody's got a question, Congressman. We're expecting you to have all the answers. Are you ready? 
Let's do it. Okay, we'll be back with more here in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. Not any kind of talk, stimulating talk. <laughs> I heard you laughing at the it. other end of the I phone. Love it. Well, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. All right, Congressman <laughs> French Hill is our guest today like here a, on the Dave. Like it's like a vigorous mental workout. <laughs> he joins us. We were talking about, uh, let, let me ask you again about how things have changed. You've been doing this now for a while, getting on down by the border. It seems yeah. to me that every congressman and every senator should get down on the border and find out what the, you know, what the heck they're talking about. Well, you know, last year, Nancy Pelosi and AOC led propaganda trips yes. to the border and tried to spin it. I've been to both the places that they visited. They visited out in El Paso, and they were certainly down in McAllen, where I was last spring, where we were getting 100,000 people a month come across the border. And this was a lot of families, and it created a major uh, crisis on the border, just like it did during the Obama administration and the Trump administration. Uh, rallied to handle it just as the Obama administration did. Uh, And yet the Trump administration was condemned by AOC and Pelosi. This is all all politics, all ridiculous, uh, when the Trump administration is just trying to comply with the laws, and the laws need to be changed. I mean, we have so many things we need to change about our immigration law to make them stronger, better, more effective, and make sure that the U.S. is still attracting the best and brightest uh, every year, plus helping those who are in dire need within, you know, um, our ability. And so uh, I agree. We should have all the members down there, but it should be a a trip that's balanced and not turned into some propaganda exercise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Go ahead, Rob. Well, good luck with that, Congressman. I appreciate your optimism, but I'm not as optimistic with the Democrats when I see uh, just recently uh, Nancy Pelosi looking entirely unhinged on an interview in the last few days in which she was asked about the uh, acquittal of the president on the impeachment trial, and she lost it. She said, that's not an acquittal. Uh, he's impeached forever. And the irony to me is, and don't worry, a question's coming eventually. Um, uh, the irony to me is that the Democrats or the liberals – in the 60s and 70s, frankly, were a lot better than the conservatives were on understanding uh, civil rights and and uh, that one is innocent until proven guilty and defense of the accused. And it seems to me that it's been turned on its head. And the Democrats said, well, if you're accused, you're guilty. Of course, we saw this with Kavanaugh. We saw this throughout. This is a new environment in which if you disagree with the Democrats and somebody accuses you of some sort of either legal wrongdoing or, in their mind, moral wrongdoing, you are permanently disabled in every respect. How did we get to a point that the Democrats have so abandoned what principles they had for decades, all for what they believe is political expediency that I think won't even work well for them? Well, I would argue it's ignorant voters, uh, and we've got to do a better job educating our populace on the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, and all of our individual rights that we have in this country – Because the Democratic Party that's moved so far to the left and has this hysteria uh, as their principal governing principle is uh, 
due to their voters or in, in supporting of it. It's the it's like rule by mob, and they're not taking into account uh, all the traditions and all the constitutional protections that we have in the country. So, look, Nancy Pelosi. I saw a poll yesterday. It's a national poll, eight hundred uh, participants. Uh, she had with Republicans a five percent approval rating, a ninety five percent disapproval rating. I'm wondering who that five percent are. Me too. We've got, to, we've got to identify them. These are people that that need to have some some careful help. But among Democrats, she only had a third thirty percent approval rating. Really, a thirty and, and so look, she has discredited her office the way she's handled this impeachment. She's broken her own set of rules and principles about uh, trying to steer the House. She's just caved to the mob. And what you're describing, you know, is a mob rule type approach. Uh, we And we've seen it at terrible points in our history. And now we're seeing it applied by one of the major political parties. Yeah, I mean, that's what set us apart with our revolution from the French. The French was mob rules, uh, you know, revolution and the people who started with off with their heads ended up having their heads taken off. Uh, it, I just can't believe people can't put that together, that that's what set us apart, the rule of law, and we can't give up on the rule of law. Well, we all have to uh, continue to speak out on it. That's why I appreciate you having uh, this is a major focus of all the work you do on the radio, Dave, because explaining this, having and Roberts with his with his uh, legal background, walk people through it. I think they see it on a micro basis. Of course, if they were accused of a crime, they'd want to have yeah. a due process rights and a speedy trial and the right to confront their uh, accusers. Right. But somehow we just abdicate all those rights when someone's a public figure. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly with that. So my last question for you, with the new trade agreement we got with Canada and with Mexico, how's that going to help us along the border? Well, uh, it is a help because, look, Mexico and the United States are are intertwined from border security, fighting the drug, drug cartels, and in global commerce. So I think it'll help both countries uh, economically to have President Trump's improvements. But also, it's going to increase risks in the sense that we need to have better screening of all the imports, trucks and trains and cars that come into the U.S. every year. I'd say it's one of the weaknesses in border security because Laredo is the biggest inland port in the world uh, of what comes across by truck and train every day. I believe that we need to have <clears throat> better screening. And so I know we always talk about the wall and we talk about uh, border patrol and the green uniforms, but I want to make sure that the people in blue uniforms that are screening all the commerce that comes across our border have the uh, uh, X-ray machines and dogs that they need to make sure we're checking as much of that commerce practically as we can. I said last question. I'm, I'm going to take that back uh, because I wanted to ask you that ice seems to be really bad now. Meth is really, really bad, and it's coming from Mexico. From what I've I've read, I've seen some of these big busts that they're having. Uh, do we have to do things differently dealing with methamphetamines again? Uh, 
Uh, well, we it is as as America has unfortunately, in my opinion, personal opinion, legalized recreational marijuana. There is a is a little less marijuana coming across the border and more fentanyl and meth, as you say. And the cartels are smart. They're trying to meet a demand in the United States. Um, I believe that we ought to have higher sanctions on uh, people caught transporting fentanyl, particularly. Senator Cotton and I both have legislation on that, or meth. And we've got to be sensitive to what we need to do to interdict it. Uh, Fentanyl alone, last year on the border, we interdicted enough to kill 150 million Americans. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's smaller. It's more compact. It's easier to move. It's a vicious drug, but it's not like something in a 50-pound backpack hauled by a person. You can bring uh, all this in your pocket. Uh, You can bring it in an envelope. So that's very valuable on the street. So this is something that we're fighting against, and uh, that we need this effort to be bipartisan. And so we're out there arguing for it every day. All right. We'll let you go. Congressman, thanks so much for the time Thank today, you, Congressman. especially on Robert, a Friday. You bet. Happy to be with you, you guys. Have a great weekend. All right. You same too. to you now. Let's get ready for Rush. Rush is going to be with us and give us his morning update. And then we'll continue here on the Dave Ellswick show. 101.1 FM, the answer. And of course, the home of the Rush Limbaugh show. And Dave Ellswick. 25 minutes till 8 on a Friday. That's right. It's Friday. You've made it to TGIF. I know you're happy about it. I'm happy about it. And uh, it's always a good thing when you get to Friday. So you know that you got the weekend in front of you. I've got a birthday party tomorrow. My grandson's coming over from Mustang, Oklahoma, which is right there outside of uh, Oklahoma City. He'll be, it's hard for me to even say this. 14 years old. Your grandson. Yeah, my grandson. Good for you. Well, I've got one that this year turns 21. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, wow. My grandson. I, I kind of laughed about my daughter. It's her birthday today, and she's having a crisis because she turns 45 today. And suddenly she starts going, I'm not that much younger than my dad. <laughs> It makes me laugh every time I think about that. I love it. She says, Dad, I'm getting old. I go, you don't know what old is yet, baby. Just hang in there. (laughs) You're going to be all right. Uh, I I wanted to let you know that on March the 4th, March the 3rd, you're going to be on my show that evening for election night. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm ordering you (laughs) to. Let me check. I'll double. I'll double. (laughs) I'll double your check for that night. Uh, when yeah, when on. I came in this morning, when it was 27 <laughs> degrees, you know what I was saying, Zach? I was saying, I need more pay than he's paying me. I need triple pay. I don't want overtime. It's I want the triple truth. pay. Problem is, triple zero is still zero. Yeah, it was cold oh, this morning. That wind was howling. I can't howling. say how cold it was, okay? <laughs> it was chilly. Isn't there a saying about that? Yeah. No, yeah. Zach knows you're, it. You're talking no, about the witch. You're talking, about the, you're talking huh? about the witch? Me, I don't know about oh, those folks, things. Yeah, yeah huh? you don't know about what? all that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, bottom line, it was cold this morning. It was 25 degrees when I got in today, and the wind was uh, gusting at about 14 miles an hour. And it, the way it whips around this building, man. Talk about slapping you in your face and saying, good morning, Dave. It's Friday. And then we got in here and got off to a rough start because the equipment decided to, to mishandle itself. But anyway, I'm just going to have uh, Robert on on the third with me for the election. At least I hope I am. On the fourth, since I'm going to be up late on the third, I'm, I, as I told my boss, I'm not 
20-ish anymore. I'm 60-ish now. Yeah. Uh, bottom line is I'm going to stay up late to get the, the races that we really are going to be following. If they don't call them early, we'll stick around until they do. And the, the bottom line is I'm just not going to get up at 3 o'clock if I've just gone to bed at 1 o'clock. So uh, expect Dennis Milligan, state treasurer, will fill in for me nice. on uh, the 4th. He'll be here. Very nice. To talk about what's going on. He, well, he, you know, Dennis is... He used to be chairman of the Republican Party mm-hmm. here in Arkansas at okay. one time, and okay. he's been in uh, politics in Arkansas for quite some time, so he can get the people on that he needs to get on to talk about the elections. Well, and it's a perfect timing, right? The yeah. day after, he can talk about it. Yeah, right? absolutely. So right. did you um, go on, go on out and vote it yet? No, I haven't. I haven't yet, yet either. I'm no. going to do it this weekend. Yeah, I have to. Uh, I, I want to do the early voting, uh, so I have to get out there, yes. How do you feel about it? Or, or, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm torn, so to speak. I like early voting. I think it's too long, though. And what, to be honest with you, I haven't followed it closely, but what's the downside? What's the downside? I think people take it way too much for granted. But that doesn't change the fact that there is the normal election day at the end of the window. Yeah, but I think that the election day is it has a, a bigger feel to it. You know, there's something to that that's interesting. You know, but, that if you don't have a whole lot of time to exercise that right. Right. And you kind of think, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, let me ask then, you a question. Yeah. If if your driver's license right. was only good for a week, right. would you be looking forward to that week? No. To be able to drive? Oh, would I, to drive? Yeah, I thought you meant at the end of the week to renew the license. No, no. Because I would not be looking forward to going to DMV. No, no. I'm talking about right. if I your license was only good for one week. That's an interesting observation. You know, I have thought you, about that. You wouldn't take it so much for granted. Right. Well, and, and perhaps a corollary of that is if we extend it for three weeks, people say, oh, I can do it tomorrow, do it tomorrow, do it that, tomorrow. Oh, yeah. And then it, when it runs out, they're like, oh, I missed it. Yeah. And if it's one day, you're like, well, that day you put it on your calendar. Three weeks, you may not put it on your calendar at all. It's I saw something that was really interesting. They were talking about this last night. I forget what show it was on. It was on one of the Fox shows. Mm-hmm. And there is a movement afoot in this country right now for businesses to take a day off right. on election day. Right. And I kind of like that. Oh, I have no objection to that. It's, uh, of course, up to the business. There's the, a, yeah, it, it would not be some law that's right, passed. Right. Uh, but I think if you're a businessman, you should go out of your way on election day. Unless, you, unless only Democrats work for you. <laughs> you should go out of, your, out of your way to make it possible for people to do the civic duty. And it's a duty. It's not, yeah, maybe. It's a duty. It's for you to learn what's going on and to vote. Now, if you don't know what's going on, please stay away from the polls. I certainly agree, Dave, that making sure that everybody has the opportunity to vote is a good thing. How we bring that about is part of our discussion. But the notion that people should be given the right to exercise that franchise is a good thing. Yes. What do you think about, like in Colorado, where you can vote from home now on your on your phone? As a concept, of course, I don't care how people vote, but as a practical matter, I'm concerned about any of these technologies. By the way, that includes some of these electronic voting booths, Mm -hmm. meaning in person, but they're electronic. I'm concerned about the possibility of tampering. I am no computer expert. In in fact, whatever word describes the opposite, that's me. Yeah, you're not you're not though you're not a Luddite. I mean no, I you're don't not dislike a person it. that dislikes right. I don't technology. Dis- I, I love it, but I am a simpleton 
when it comes to understanding it. And so I can't tell you how any of it operates. And I become concerned, even just watching the news, you hear about these types of stories in a general matter, right? Uh, uh, Sears uh, has 50,000 or 500,000 people's data breached by some troll farm out of Macedonia or something like that. And so I become concerned that there can be increasing fraud the more digital we go. So that is a legitimate concern, but the notion that you can vote from home versus vote in a place, that doesn't bother me. But I want good security. Yeah, I'll tell you the piece of legislation that I would like to see happen here in the state. We had the lady on that's the head of the Pulaski County uh, voting oh, or uh, whatever. Evelyn Gomez. Yes, yeah. yes. Evelyn she was, was on. my student, by the way. Was she really? Of course she was. All the people you know, Dave, <laughs> were my students. We're, we got the six degrees of Dave Ellsworth, right. don't we? That's bottom, right. bottom line that's interesting about uh, what she's told us, which I thought, and I've been thinking about it ever since she was on several weeks back, and that is you go to vote. And the, you, you walk up to the table and, to identify who you are, and right. they've got this printed thing in front of them, mm-hmm. and they're looking for your name. Mm-hmm. Well, if you happen to just got put in the book a couple of weeks ago, maybe it hasn't been printed out yet. Mm-hmm. And so you you got to fill out a provisional ballot. Then. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about this new technology that they really want to do, which is an electronic book. You got it? She just texted me. Oh, Evelyn. she's listening, yeah. huh? Yeah, of course she is. You know, Everybody listens well, to the Dave Ellsworth I'll tell you show. what, Evelyn, do me a favor. Uh, after 8 o'clock, about 8.05, if you can, you since you're talking to, to uh, Rob. Um, Rob right now, thank you. <laughs> uh, would you First call us so that words. we can talk about this electronic uh, book that you were talking about where you would just bring it up, uh, and once you went in and... You, you became a registered voter, it would immediately show up. She's going to call. That just, yeah, we want yeah. to talk about all that. That's right. Uh, th- this is the kind of stuff we got. To, this is the stuff we be, we should be pressing for. That's right. You know, well, and did you know that the, the local Democrats here in Pulaski County from the executive, from the uh, county executive, I think they call it the county judge, but it's not a judge, right? They call it the judge, but it's really like the the mayor, but for the county. They have been interfering, and the council, which, again, there's some other name for that, a quorum court. Again, it's not a court. It's a city council. Yeah, this is a Piazza quorum court. That's that's, Right, right. The judge over there, I can't remember his name right now. It it, it eludes me. Is it Barry or something? Barry Hyde. That's it. Uh, In fact, uh, I'm suing Barry Hyde about access uh, to the courthouse uh, for lawyers with guns, and we'll talk about that later in the show. But in any event, all of those leftists have been interfering with the work that Evelyn has been doing because they want – they realize, wait a second, Evelyn's a good Republican. Evelyn's a good conservative. And And Evelyn knows what she's doing. Well, and that's strike three, right? If you know what you're doing, (laughs) that's strike three to the Democrats. So they've been trying to interfere with her ability to make sure we have fair, honest, and open elections. Holding up money. Holding up money, holding up the authority. Mind you, when the folks who preceded Evelyn were in Evelyn's position. They were Democrats, and Barry Hyde and the city, uh, the county council, they didn't interfere at all. But once they saw a Republican walk in the do- door, the, the sky was falling, and they had to rectify this. And by rectify, I mean inject uh, politics, partisan politics, into what should not be partisan at all. Well, it's like the lawyer out there, David Couch. You know right. Couch, yes. Right? 
And uh, he's the guy who got medicinal marijuana on the ballot. And then it passed. That's right. And I thought he was a pretty good nonpartisan kind of guy. He was he was really interested in, you know, just getting laws changed that kind of needed to be changed as far as I'm concerned. Until until this time. What's he going for now? And he's trying to change the way that we go out and, uh, you know, set up our different districts yeah. and things. The, the, the so gerrymandering issue. Yeah. And in, in his thought now that the Republicans are stepping up to the plate because right. they got all the all of the constitutional offices, offices and whatnot. Uh, now they want to have some kind of special commission that you, you set in place. And. I got to believe that the only reason Couch is doing this is because the some, Republicans are in charge. Yeah, that's exactly right. No they question. want the Democrats to still have as much control as they can uh, in that process. Here's a perfect analogy. All of a sudden, the Democrats are against the Electoral College. They were never against the Electoral College <laughs> until it turned out they, that they started to lose elections yep. because they saw the whole bulk of the country as flyover country. And they realized, wait a second, we got to talk to those people? So then they said, we don't like the Electoral College. And here's my deal, Dave. When they win two elections in a row b- based on the Electoral College— then I'll have a conversation with them. Which is just like how they, they've been trying to change the whole thing about the Equal Rights Amendment. Right. Ginsburg comes out and says, yeah. no, you're all wrong. Yeah, it doesn't work. It Wait, doesn't well, work that way. Exactly. And they go, yeah. what? Yeah, exactly. What? Well, this you is know. the thing. If they are willing to step up to the plate and offer a change in government that seemingly impairs them because it's for the good of government— I'll have a conversation with them. But if they are, as is transparent, opportunistic, seeking changes for their own political ends, then I'm not going to have that conversation with them. It's transparently opportunistic, as I just said. And so that is not good government. You want to, I think it's perfectly legitimate to have a conversation about the Electoral College. I'm not inclined to change my view on it, but it's a perfectly legitimate conversation until. It's obvious that you're not doing it for an actual philosophical, theoretical, or even practical debate. You're doing it just to advance your political ends. Your particular cause. That's exactly right. right. All right. We've got 12 minutes until 8. Let's get a break in. We've got to give you your uh, traffic, your weather, and everything else that comes along with listening to the Dave Ellswick Show on any given day when we take a break. While we're in break, if you heard my interview in the first hour with Jeff Kinley and his new book, Interview with the Antichrist, it's like the number one selling book on Kindle right now. It's like the number one most listened to book on uh, audio or whatever the name of that site is where you get the audio books at. So uh, if you'd like a copy, I've got a copy of it right here. I'd be happy to give it to you. Uh, just give me a call, 501-823-0965. 501-823-0965. Be the third caller, and it's yours right here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, eight minutes till. You got a temperature around here? I haven't seen it lately. Cold. Yeah, I do it's temperature. Cold. I don't have it's my, cold out I don't have there, my, people. I don't have my brain by me. My oh phone my is gosh. in the other studio, well, so I don't know what it is. But anyway, it was, it's somewhere around 26 I degrees. I lost a toe Pro- coming in here. <laughs> it probably right. feels like. 20 degrees outside with that wind. It's pretty pretty nippy out there I right now. I left New York, Dave, and you brought the weather down here. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't the, come the from New York. The only thing I want from New York is the pizza. <laughs> Bring it back. Okay, now, 
See, this, this is the – we won't get into oh, this. Oh, you're going to give saying, me the Chicago The stuff. Chicago versus New York. I covered for you on, what was it, Monday? And yeah. so you weren't here to debate me. And we were talking with <laughs> – I was talking with Zach. No, you know, Chicago pizza ain't pizza. You know what Chicago pizza is? It's a giant used car wash sponge <laughs> turned upside down with some ketchup – not even ketchup – with some ketchup and a handful of cheese. That ain't pizza. It's pretty good pizza. Oh, my gosh. I like it. I'm quitting the show. But I'm going to be honest. I am quitting the show. I'm more of a New York pizza guy. I like the thin crust more than I like the thick crust. So let me translate for the listeners of your show. You like pizza more than the stuff they sell in Chicago that they stole the name and call pizza. (laughs) Is that – did I get that right, Zach? Did I translate that? There is something about when I go to to New York to stop on just about any street corner. Any corner. corner. And get a slice of pie and fold it in half and be eating it well, and, the the gr- and the grease running down your if hand. If you can't fold it in half, it ain't pizza. <laughs> I don't it's some sort of, I don't know what it is. It's soup, it's a it's a casserole, <laughs> but it ain't pizza. It's pizza. And it's good. Oh my goodness. It's good. I, I'll never forget the first time that I went uh, downtown Chicago because I, I grew up outside of Chicago. Right. And went to Old Town, which is mm-hmm. the the part of Chicago that did not burn in the Great Fire, and uh, having a pizza there. And it was a new place called Gino's Pizza, mm-hmm. which is not so new anymore. No. It's been around for years and years and years. And they made pizza on top of the stove. Oh my gosh! Um, most unbelievable I, thing, and it was loaded. It thing had to weigh ten pounds. Yeah, yeah. Listen, uh, I mean. If you want to describe bad culinary uh, uh, decisions, we can have a whole show on that. Now, it's not that Chicago has bad food. The kielbasa, you can't beat the Polish food. Well, they've got more Poles in Chicago than Warsaw. Exactly. Uh, You know... uh, uh, it's they, Piyoki's, they got baby. more they got more poles than a broom factory. But the point is <laughs> that that's that's some good Chicago food. Yeah, but that other stuff that you seemingly so mistakenly are, call pizza that ain't pizza. And so are Vienna dogs. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for a Chicago hot dog. Listen, Chicago makes the best sausage because poles make the best sausage. I mean that sincerely. Uh, but uh, they don't know how to make pizza. And you know that Chicago dogs, the Vienna dogs, yeah. you know why they're special? I do not. Because they're kosher. Are they? Yes, they are. Oh, well, that's great. Absolutely. That's great. You'll I not, had to cut out a you bunch. You will not find a speck of pork in a Chicago, a real Chicago a real dog. Chicago. I had to cut out a bunch of the foods that I like to eat when I became more observant in terms of my dietary restrictions. Mm-hmm. And so that cut out some of the some of the kielbasa, et cetera. Yep. Absolutely. I, I love kielbasa, yeah. man. I'm, I'm bratwurst. Mm-hmm. I mean, Milwaukee's where you go for a brat, all right? But still, down in Chicago, bratwurst are pretty darn oh, yeah. good. Oh, yeah. They're, they're great. You know, you stab them with a knife, and it squirts the juice across the table on the on the person sitting across from you. You know, they say the same thing about gang members. <laughs> anyway, what? Huh? Is this thing on? Oh. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Okay, so Evelyn's going to be with us right. next hour mm-hmm. right out of the news you won't want to miss that because we'll talk about this uh, uh, the electronic what is that book called election book i, I don't know evelyn right. will tell us yeah and then of course you know barry hyde has been really we're going to talk about my lawsuit up, against barry yeah hyde. we want to talk about that but he's been throwing a lot of ridiculous 
uh, small things in front of making changes that need to be, and I won't say small things, that's the wrong terminology. He's been throwing roadblocks yeah, up in the for, way of progress to pursue as far as his political go. democratic ideals. Yeah. And by democratic, I mean the po- the party Democrat, not democratic as an open to the people. The next thing you'll know is he'll want to name a bridge after himself. Yeah. <clears throat> you got to be around Pulaski politics a little bit to know what I'm referring to there, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but that's something that we've been, you know, we've been at for a long time here on the Dave Ellswick show for 20 years now. Yeah. Keeping keeping up on what's going on politically in uh, our local local politics by the way uh it's uh prentice prentice marshall won the book copy the book oh, interview nice. with the antichrist congratulations uh when we get jeff kenley back on here in the in the future uh we'll get some more copies of that to get a uh, giveaway jeff kenley by the way uh is the author of greater the story about brian uh was it i'm with bosworth yeah i always want to call him Bosworth, and that's not right. That's a totally different football player. I'm just telling you. Did you, the other day, the national championship game a few weeks back? He was there. Did you see Boz? The Boz was walking on the sideline. Didn't look, wasn't a big, you know, muscled Bosworth of the, of the past, but he was there doing his thing for the, at LSU and Clemson game. I don't know who he was. Was he? I guess he was LSU fan. I'm not sure. I, I didn't see if he was yellow and purple or not. But anyway, he was he was there at the game. I just thought you see some of these former great sports guys, and it's kind of cool. It's like Jerry Rice. Is Jerry Rice ever going to age? I mean, seriously, have you seen Jerry Rice? Do you know who I'm even talking about? Robert? I've heard the name. You know me in politics, right? <laughs> right I'm sorry. Yeah, anyway, you're, you're, he was one of the uh, Excuse me, me in sports. I he's apologize. one of the greatest, if not the greatest, wide receiver. I will say for long passes, the greatest. Short passes, Fred Bolitnikoff, just the way I look at it. Steve Largent would have been right there with, with Bolitnikoff as, as well. Now I'm bringing up some names, and, and only if you know football – Will you even recognize who I'm talking about? All right, we'll take a break. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, More traffic coming your way, more weather coming your way. A great interview coming up with Evelyn Gomez. Is that right? Gomez? Yeah. I I want to say Gonzalez, but I knew that wasn't right. (laughs) All right. I am am the Harry Carey of news names on the Dave Ellswick Show. Seven minutes after 8 o'clock, final hour of the Dave Ellswick Show for a Friday. It has gone very, very quickly today. We start off with Jeff Kinley, the author of a new book called Interview with the Antichrist. In last hour, we came back with Congressman French Hill talking to us about his trip down to the southern border uh, in uh, Arizona down to by Nogales. And I know a lot about that because I've been down there myself and... Uh, and how bad the uh, 
the bad guys are on the other side uh, of the border and killing police off. They have big, big billboards. When I was down there, it said, Policia, join us or die. Uh, that's kind of a pretty strong message that you might not want to cross the cartels. But anyway, uh, he told us about that. Uh, Robert and I have been talking about some other things, and we got talking about, uh, or I started talking about, getting into the 21st century when it comes to the voting booth. And uh, Robert's not a, a Luddite, neither am I. I like, uh, I like uh, you know, technology. Now, if you'd asked me that when my show started today, you probably got a different answer since my studio's not working today. But the bottom line is I'm big on that. And uh, Evelyn Gomez, who's the chairman of the election commission, I think that's the right terminology, uh, for Pulaski County, has been trying to drag uh, Judge Barry Hyde by his tongue into the 21st century. And, and he's tried to bo- kind of block her her way. Uh, every time she turns to the left, he gets in front of her. She turns to the right, he gets in front of her. Uh, Evelyn, real quickly, talk to my listeners a little bit about this electronic, uh, I don't know what the... T- what the poll books? Yeah, the poll book. Yeah, that, that you know, yeah. you go up to, to, to check in and... They're going through all these pages of paper when, in fact, we could, you know, get that all electronically and have it like that. So we actually are getting poll books. That is the only money that um, Barry Hyde allowed for was um, he gave us, um, well, he did give us, he um, purchased um, on his own, but did take our recommendation for the poll books that we needed so in november we should have the electronic poll books up and running and the what we were going to see in march with on election day we're going to have those paper printed out books should be the last uh, big general election that you're going to um, see those in all right Uh, this is good news this is good first step it's a really good first step However, I do want to talk to you about another issue that has happened um, right now, House District 34. Okay. A lot lot of historic things. So as um, everyone, I'm sure, knows, um, John Walker passed away. Yes. And so so we had a governor's proclamation, and there was a special election um, to fill the vacancy because, unfortunately, we had um, um, Walker's passing. Well, there was... Perhaps no, I'm 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 not the governor. I don't work for the governor, but I suspect that some of the time frames that were given in the proclamation from the governor were set when they were, so there would be somebody to represent House District 34 by the time the um, fiscal session began, okay. which is going to start pretty pretty soon. So, um, not ideal. We have the special election going on pretty much simultaneously with um, the early voting um, and our... Okay, so, on so this whole, the whole primary thing and this election for this has gotten all kind of jumbled up in people's minds. It has. There's been... So we have... Two, if you live, live in House District 34, there's actually two elections on Election Day. There's the preferential pr- primary nonpartisan judicial races, and then there's also the runoff for the special um, House District 34 race. So if you vote 
on election day uh, in House District 34, you're getting two, and you, you live in District 34, you're getting two ballots. Okay. So there's right. two different races. There's, there's, if it's easier to think of it, the Walker race and then your primary. Your, right. And everybody needs it, to remember yeah. that when they vote for the judges during the primary, that is the general election for the that judges. Is. You have the preferential um, primary as well as the nonpartisan judicial races. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's really it, confusing this year. Yeah, what is, it is. What does preferential mean? It's a primary. What's the word preferential um, mean? Um, Democrat primary, Republican primary. Okay. That's a better way to you say can vote. it. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's the. All right. So the, the, you tell, you tell us, Evelyn, where, where are we in this ongoing saga between you and Judge Hyde? Are things getting better? Oh, I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. So there is a quorum court meeting on Tuesday. I'm fairly certain. And it would be great if everyone who thinks that we should get rid of this this paper ballots and the poll and all those things, all those issues that we have on election day, and you want the election commission to have enough money to have the ease that early voting gives us. Mm-hmm. If we had that that same, we need more money to get more, and more machines and get the technology for it. If everyone likes the ease of early voting and you'd like to see that on election day, you got to let Barry Hyde know that. You got to let the quorum court know that because right now we don't have the funds to make that happen. We, in fact, have paper ballots on election day, and that caused a problem that we have come across in the House District 34. So, as we know, there was a runoff. Correct. I'm, I'm sure your informed listeners have um, seen in the news. So we had um, multiple Democrats ran, and then there was a runoff between the um, the, the candidates. And so um, the, of the two candidates, we had in the runoff, there was a dead even split. You're kidding me. Dead even. He we're, So we are waiting on Uacaba, um, the overseas and military voters. They have until Friday is their deadline to get that. Their ballots back. So you're waiting received. for the you're waiting for the absentee ballots. Then we are. It's going to come to it's, it. It may come down to that. And as the last I heard, we have received one overseas Uakava, um overseas military um, vote ballot back. <laughs> there are possibility of having four more. But let me tell you about the problems. Okay. Um, this is there's a couple things. There's some voter fraud that happened. There we we have reports. That no, a Arca- voter fraud. Cast. Wait a second, voter fraud in Arkansas? You're kidding me. Yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> so um, tonight, the election commission is going to have a regular meeting, and one of the things that we are planning to discuss is to talk about this issue. And we are in the process of getting that all turned over to Larry Jugley for prosecution. Wow. Um, so we hope. This is getting as a, interesting. As a concerned citizen, I personally hope that our prosecutor will um, take this illegal action seriously and hold those responsible for the bad actions of these bad actors involved. Well, I'll call, now, I'll call Larry up and see if he won't come on the air. He and I have had no problems in the past. I'm sure he'll come on and talk no. about this. Listen, I'm happy you've got a prosecutor that, you know, especially if he wants to prosecute things, that's great. And I know he's got a full plate 
Um, but this is this is a serious thing, and, and like I said, oh, yeah. the commission is in the process of getting that to him and getting him all the information his office will need um, to investigate and hopefully successfully prosecute any anyone's involved in that. So somebody had taken a ballot that was supposed to be um, put in a provisional envelope, and it turns out later that that person actually did not live in House District 34. And this is the information I was told. Um, some, if it's if it's not perfectly accurate, I Forgive me, but I'm, I'm pretty sure this is from from what I was told. That person did not live in House District 34, and there, from my understanding, from talking to a couple of different people, it was two folks. One person basically they spoiled a ballot, and mm-hmm. by law, there's some procedures that go through with the spoiled ballot, and they get to have a new ballot. And while one person was that was happening, um, the other person went around the poll workers and fed the ballot into the machine. Wow. So there was one vote that once it's in the machine, we, we can't pull that back. We can't pull that out. We I don't, gotcha. Your name isn't on it. There's no, there's no way we have a secret ballot. There's no way we can figure out, mm-hmm. what, you know, at that moment. Um, we immediately on our, with the commission, as when we found out about it, we immediately took um, action as, so we would, we changed our provisional ballot procedures um, so that wouldn't happen. So they would be, Apparently weren't being marked. They had, um, I think, pre- maybe previously, years prior, um, not certain, and, and at least other counties, provisional ballots have a, a colored marking or some type of um, demarcation on it. Ours, unfortunately, um, did not in this instance. We, as a commission, said we need to do something about that um, to help things in the future. However, we can't go back and fix what just happened. So right. there was at least at one illegal vote that was in that in this dead heat. And that's tie important. That we have. Yeah, it's important. It's it was a dead heat. Important. Yeah. So um, somebody won, but because of somebody cheating, we've got a tie. Correct. All right. Evelyn, if, you'll, if you'll hold on, we're going to come back because I got a couple more questions. I think Robert had a question, your former teacher. And uh, That's right. are, you, are you ready to stand up in class again? He's going to, he's going to challenge you. All right. Well, we're going to come back and talk further with uh, Evelyn Gomez, who's the chairman of the election Pulaski County Election Committee, and uh, talk to her further about elections here in Pulaski County. Let's get back and and talk further with Evelyn Gomez. She is the uh, chairperson of the Pulaski County Election Committee. We've been talking about getting the Pulaski County uh, electoral system set up into the 21st century. And let's talk about getting away from paper ballots, Evelyn. We'd like to get the the new uh, computer uh, setups where you just walk up in this touch, you know, touch screen and the whole nine yards, mm-hmm. and then you get your receipt showing your ballot and whatnot. Uh, has the money from the Secretary of State's office uh, been allocated for Pulaski County? Yes, it's been allocated, um, and indeed. Without a final consult to the election commission, Barry Hyde, uh, my understanding, has signed a contract. Um, and what he decided we needed on his own was um, we needed just um, – he took the, the money from the Secretary of State, which only paid for about half of right. the need. Um, so took all, all the money that paid for about half, which would basically almost replace – um, the outdated machines we have now, 
mm-hmm. we would still have to have paper ballots on election day because the quorum court hasn't changed an ordinance and we um, don't quite frankly don't have the machinery to um, get that process in place because uh, we weren't given any money for that. We weren't allocated any money to purchase that. And Barry Hyde, as the one who made that sign the contract, did not um, allocate any additional money. He did, however, um, the three hundred that was about three hundred thousand um, dollars for the electronic poll book. So that that was actually purchased. So that's good. And you know, I, I guess we're happy to get what we can get. However. We're still going to have paper ballots on Election Day. So this issue that happened in House District 34 where the person fed the, the ballot into the machine, that's something that could happen again. Okay. We, now, we took some, we're taking some, some safeguards to um, mark those provisional ballots so we can, if, if needs be, they can um, be pulled out of the machine and the, the, the legal ballot um, votes cast that can be counted. However, um, you know, Mr. Hyde has told me to my face that the voters want to have paper ballots. And that is completely opposite of everything I have heard from every single voter I've talked to. Well, this is the thing in politics. Um, You find these politicos just make false statements. Out of whole cloth. Out of whole cloth. Oh, well, this is what I'm hearing. In the voices in your head? Is that who's talking to you? The various voices yeah, I'm not, in I'm your not head? Sure. I'm, I'm not sure whose who's advice uh, Mr. Yeah. is taking. But, is your dog talking uh, it's, to it's you? It's not the advice of the election commission. Yeah. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So the other issue that we had, we had a recount because it was a tied race, and that's, you know it's kind of historic. So we had a recount, and we, on Wednesday night, on Precinct 75, there were 75 sub ballot stubs, paper stubs. There were seven, or excuse me, there were 37 ballot stubs. There were 37 votes recorded. There were 36 actual ballots Uh-oh. sealed in the in the little collection box that they get put in. That's not good. Now, no, no, it wasn't. And in fact, I think my hives that I broke out in are finally going down. <laughs> um, no, it was it was not good. We were, we were we were very much concerned about that. Oh well, yeah, that's, that's not okay to lose a ballot, especially in a tied race. I think that's even more. Um, now, I will say about. Um, Davis was the candidate who um, there the ballot was it was mislaid it was not it was not lost um, it, was actually, it was actually okay. mis, it was mislaid and and sealed it and we found it it was in a, it was in an, an incorrect at the polling location the apparently the poll workers when they were um, sealing up they have, um, the ballots that were cast and then they have the unused paper ballots it inadvertently. Um, was mislaid with the unused ballots. Wow. There were six witnesses when the seal was broken. They found it. It matched. It was from Precinct 75. It was ballot Good work. On. I'll um, give you a good. Had you get. You guys get a gold star for good work, all right? You really do. So where um, where do we sit right now, Evelyn? What, what do my listeners that are here in Pulaski County need to do to get the judge, uh, Barry Hyde, off of his duff and uh, get you guys up to the 21st century. Um, Just call him? Come to the quorum court meetings, call them, inundate. I would flood his email and office and your all your JPs and come to the quorum court meeting and let them know we demand to not be second-class citizens. We demand to be in the 21st century. We don't want to have all the pitfalls and issues that paper ballots give us 
We want to have the machines to have secure, safe, honest, fair, reliable elections. We want we don't want to have we don't want anyone to have problems going to polls. We want to be able to have the option of vote centers voting anywhere. That's the court court makes that call. They're the ones that have to, to make that choice. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could just vote anywhere? You know, people talk about disenfranchisement and some issues with that and um, and with, you know, voters, minority groups and, and anyone. What if you had easier access to the polling locations? Yeah. What if you had greater access? And let's say you're a working person and you work in downtown, but you don't live in downtown. And it's hard for you to get to your precinct at the end of the day but before polls close. Yeah, and you're gonna well, and you're had, gonna you're gonna pass eight polling places on your way home. Wouldn't correct. it be nice just to be able to stop at one of them and cast your ballot? Because you're a hardworking American and you want to exercise your right to vote. Mm-hmm. And right now, the very high in the quorum court, because of decisions um, that have not been made or some decisions that have been made, they're standing in that way. That hardworking American being able to exercise their right to vote. If in the in the event in this example I gave you where somebody who because of work conflicts, because of transportation, because of whatever, maybe can't get to their actual designated um, polling site on on Election Day. I'm with you. Just, All right. so we Listen, we need about one point four, one point five million to get up to where we need to be. That sounds like that's a lot out of my personal budget for my for, for the Gomez household. That's a lot of money. But for the county, that's not. And they have it. All right, we Evelyn. Just, I, I, I've run out of time. Thank you for joining us and thanks, bringing, bringing, bringing us up to date. We appreciate you here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. So, Evelyn Gomez. Right, I got you, Dave. Sure thing. Chairperson from the uh, head of the Pulaski County Election Committee. We got news coming up here in, or not news, we got Sean Hannity coming up here in 60 seconds. And uh, we want to find out what he has for us. I'm sure it'll be something about national politics so we'll see what he has to tell us and then when we come back uh robert and i still have a half hour i want him to bring us up to date on his chris corbett lawsuit against judge bear hyde and the sheriff who was just on uh we're just talking about and i'll call uh, larry jegley uh and we'll try to get him on next week if possible to talk about somebody casting a false ballot that's something that cannot be allowed to stand and i hope whatever uh, they do that they they make sure that that person is punished because our electoral system depends on making sure that when you go to the polls to vote you know your vote is counting and that somebody else is not casting a, a ballot that will cancel you out illegally right now though here's sean A little bit more about what's going on locally. That's something that we do on this show. We try to pay attention to what's going on locally in politics and keep you up to date on all of that. And uh, something we've talked about before here on the Dave Ellswick Show, I want to come back to now because it's been a couple of weeks and things change in 14 days. I've got, uh, of course, Robert Steinbach is my special guest during uh, 7 till 9 o'clock on Fridays. And, uh, Robert, you still have this lawsuit pending against Barry Hyde dealing with lawyers being able to conceal carry uh, at courthouse. That's right. Because the law says 
they are able to conceal carry at the courthouse. Where are we on this? Oh, by the way, I'm not speaking to Robert Steinbach anymore. I'm talking to 007. I think we may need to tell him what you mean. Well, you by go that right difference. ahead well, and tell him. So I have been an attorney for many years, as you know, Dave, and a law professor for many years. But much like a doctor, a lawyer needs to be admitted to practice in each state. And since I was a law professor here, I hadn't yet gone out and gotten my license in Arkansas. So I finally done so. And they issue you a bar number, which you have to put on the documents you file. And the first part. Wait of the, for it. You're going to love it. Yeah, wait for it, folks. The first part of the number is the year. So it's 2020 dash. And then just the next number in a series. But it turns out my number is 007. He's got a license to practice. Exactly. That's it. That's it. So the first case that I filed, as your listeners will likely remember, because I'm very interested in Second Amendment rights, the right to self-defense. That's why, by the way, I'm a firm believer in the Stand Your Ground law that's supported by Dan Sullivan up there in Craighead County, uh, but opposed by John Cooper. So needless to say, you know who I'm supporting in that primary election going on right now. In any event, uh, my friend and my client now, Chris Corbett, who is an attorney who lives and works in Conway and Little Rock. Well, he lives in Conway and works in Conway and Little Rock, and he's also a professional engineer, tried to go into the courthouse here in Pulaski County with his legal handgun and his legal concealed carry license, and they said, no dice. Well, it turns out that Bob Ballinger had... uh, passed a law several years back, he revised the law, in fact, to be slightly more accurate, to make it clear that the folks who were allowed to carry handguns in court are bailiffs, police officers, officers of the court, which means lawyers. Anybody who's doing business with the court. As a lawyer, exactly. And anybody else approved by the court. And so we filed a lawsuit. They and we, by the way, Dave, predicted entirely, or not, that's not fair, almost entirely, what their arguments against our position would be. And all of those that we predicted we knew were not good arguments for them. Well, here's the key. There is no argument. It's the law. Right, right. And so they filed what's called a motion to dismiss, basically saying, no, we win. Here's why. They filed that um, uh, two days ago or three days ago and two days ago. We filed our response, even though we have 10 days or two weeks to respond. We filed our response, having prepared most of it in advance. Okay. The next day. Okay. And their arguments really don't hold water. One, they try to read the law and flip it around and say, well, the law just says that the court gets to decide. Well, why does it list all these other categories then? No, it doesn't. Then they said, well, that's inherently a power of the court. The court, uh, you can't make a law about that. Uh, Really? Because the legislature makes a law about paying the security, about managing the bill. That's all in the province of the legislature. So that's a silly argument as well. And then they made some other arguments about who we sued because we sued Barry Hyde. We sued the sheriff. And then we sued the owner of the courthouse, which is legally listed as the jail. And they said, well, you can't sue the jail. Well, if it's a legal entity, you can. But by the way, that's not even an important issue. We've got enough defendants that we can, suing one of them is going to get us the right outcome. So the court case now is before Judge Piazza. I don't know Judge Piazza, so we'll see uh, how that works out. And if he rules correctly, then he'll rule in our favor. If he rules incorrectly, 
We're going to take it on appeal. You'll push of it up. Of course we are. Incidentally, as an aside, in my other case uh, that we've talked a lot about, uh, uh, <clears throat> we filed another motion with Judge Fox. He rejected it just by saying denied. And so far, I've said on your air, Dave, that I think Judge Fox, even though when he's disagreed with me, has done a decent job at making decisions, even though he's wrong on those decisions or some, some of those decisions. Uh, this is just an abdication of his responsibility. We wrote a 10-page motion, and he wrote one word, denied, and that's not a decision. He hasn't done his job. And so if this is the kind of behavior that we see from Judge Fox, I'm going to start flipping my position, and I'm going to start actively campaigning against him when he's up for re-election because that's not judging. He's not doing his job, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of these elected judges not doing their job, and each and every one of them that doesn't do their job, like Dan Kemp, uh, I will actively campaign against their opponent, and I don't care who their opponent is. Fox turns out, by the way, to be a Democrat. Uh, Kemp turns out to be a Republican. I'll vote for the Republican against Fox. I'll vote for the Democrat against Kemp. It doesn't matter what politics you are if you're not doing your job. So I just want to put that out there, that that's why we have elected judges, so that we can hold them responsible for doing their job. Not for the outcome, not for their decision, but for whether they're doing your job, stamping denied with a rubber stamp on a, a motion is not doing your job. Well, it, it, and also as far as Kemp is concerned, uh, dealing with the uh, issue that you have with the court, which right. I have with it as well, it's obvious he's making the wrong decision. Well, it's transparent, right? It's transparent that these people don't want to get to the real issues to afford Arkansans their day in court, and they want to bury themselves in false procedure. Let me be clear what I mean by that. It's not only a claim that some procedure wasn't followed. It's an incorrect claim that some procedure wasn't followed. And in Fox's instance, he just says, denied. Yeah. And so we've, we're going to make another motion, by the way, I mean, to what, get him on the record. How are you supposed to respond to right? that? How am I supposed to know what he's talking about? Denied what, what why? Yeah, denied, denied everything. Why? Yeah. Why? He gets paid to answer the question, why? Because Not, you're making your decision based upon the law. That's right. Both of you are. That's now right. we're supposed to have, you know, steel, iron, and, and uh, you know, and, uh, and a sharpening rock, so to speak, come together and sparks are supposed to fly, and we're supposed to find the truth. In yeah, that. I'm supposed to take a magic eight ball and try to decipher what he means substantively about denial. Well, it denied. sounds like that's how he came up with his decision. Exactly. He turned over and said denied, denied so he, and wrote, he just denied. wrote denied. Exactly. That's not judging. That's not doing his job. And I will get on the radio and get on a soapbox and say so because I'm tired. Too many people kowtowing to elected judges. Oh, I better not say something bad because I may have to go before them again. I'll say it to them in court. I'll say it to their face. Do your job. You know, I understand that everybody's human. Right. What I don't understand is if you don't want to follow the law, then why do you want to be a judge? Well, and here's the thing. You bring up exactly the point. I've previously said on your show, when Judge Fox got the wrong outcome, I said, he got the wrong outcome. But that's because he's human. So I don't blame him for getting the wrong outcome. But here, he didn't get an outcome. He said, deny. What? Wait, what? Wait, what? How did you get there? Where's your analysis? It's called a legal opinion. Not, it's not just an outcome. It's not called a legal outcome. It's called a legal opinion. There's no opinion there. There's no analysis Sounds there. like to me he doesn't want to be challenged. That's exactly right. And that's what happened the previous time on some things. He didn't issue a full opinion. And then, of course, the Supreme Court said, well, he didn't issue opinion. We got nothing to rule on. That's my problem. That's my problem. 
And that's where Dan Kemp didn't do his job. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go back to Judge Fox and we're going to say, you didn't do your job, issue an opinion. And I can't force him to issue an opinion. But after we highlight that, then we go to the Supreme Court and say, now we've asked twice. Hey, Dan Kemp, we've asked twice. What else do you want me to do? Maybe you should do your job. Yeah. Judge, you should maybe call up the other judge and say, why are you denying this? Or give me the record, the the resolution that I'm seeking. Yeah. Send it back and give instructions to the judge to do his darn job. To come back to what we were talking about initially, Dave, we have filed our response on the gun case. Okay. We we have filed a motion for judgment in our favor on the gun case. We now the city has a response and we have our final reply. And then we are going to get an answer from Judge Piazza on to whether or not whether or not Judge Piazza wants to follow the law or not. Yeah, the law is clear. He's going to sit down and make a judgment on the merits exactly. of the case. That's, that's the, exactly that, right. That's the legal thing. That's the right. merits of the case. And if he does that, all he has to do is read the law. That's it. That's it. All you have to do is read the law. The law says that law enforcement, off-duty or on-duty, bailiffs, officers of the court, which we well know means lawyers, and anybody else specifically authorized by the court are allowed to carry handguns in the court. Well, category three is lawyers, and we need that law enforced, and we don't need some liberal bureaucracy telling us that we're not entitled to carry in court. And then I, I had an interview with some reporter, and the reporter started to ask me, well, do you think it's a good idea? I said, actually, I do think it's a good idea, but let me be clear here. It's not whether I think it's a good idea. It's the law. It's the law. That's the key. It's the law. It's the law. So you can have whatever coffee clutch debate over Thanksgiving that you want to have, but that doesn't change what the law is. And the job of a judge is to enforce the law. That's correct. That's it. All right. We'll come back. We got one final segment between Robert and I. We'll do that with you in a moment. We got 13 minutes until uh, 9 o'clock. 25 degrees here in uh, Little Rock. Supposed to get a high today, I believe, of 50 degrees under sunny skies. Some rain coming in on the weekend. I'd like to go a couple of weeks without rain and the temperature to get into the 60s, but I think I have a few more weeks for that before it happen. But right now, let's get our break and give you the uh, traffic and the weather here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Yeah, because this is the place where Arkansans come to talk. This is 101.1 FM, The Answer. It's a home of Rush. Sean and Ellswick, how's that one for you? Well, that's accurate. That's how it is. That gives you that gives you the lineup here, and it is the best lineup of conservative talk in the state, maybe in the country. I don't know, but bottom line is it's it's great conservative talk. Uh, let me real quickly cover something. I've I, I've picked up another infection in my foot, and everybody knows that my the saga with my foot has been ongoing and taking a long time. They're going to end up having to put another pick line in and deliver another round of antibiotics to me because I got a different, uh, you know, bug in me than what I had before. I don't have MRSA now. I got something else. So they got to treat it. And the doc yesterday, I talked to her. She says, because it was messing with one of your ligaments, we're going to do a pick line. I said, okay. 
I can't argue with that point. So we're going to do it. But what that does mean is that I've been excited because I've been ready to go to CPAC, which is next week, and was told yesterday, Ixnay, you know, can't do it, Dave. You're not going to be able to go. We don't want you flying it. I don't know how many thousands of feet up in the air on antibiotics and you'll freak everybody out. They'll think you got corona, uh, coronavirus or whatever, and you'll be hopping around and all kinds of stuff. So I'm not going to get to go. That's a bummer. It's two years in a row. I missed. I have not, I had not missed uh CPAC for nearly 18 years in wow. the last two years wow. I've had to miss. So uh, I am planning on next year, uh, being there, this would have been a great year because this was the year of the reelection of Donald Trump. <laughs> and I would have loved to be there with about six, eight, 10, 12,000 fellow conservatives, uh, just hooping and hollering. And, and I mean, hooping and hollering when you consider what we saw on the, uh, debate the other night. Oh, that debate was Minnie hilarious. Mike didn't look so good. Did he? Oh, he got bad turd. Like a piece of catfish, did he you was see battered. The, did you see the New York Post no. front page? No. It was a picture of a Bloomberg right. with Band-Aids all over his face and a black eye. That's hilarious. And uh, they called it a beatdown, and that's pretty much what it was. It was. Warren started it, and everybody just jumped on. That's right. And I w- I've always said that I thought Buttigieg was intelligent and well-spoken, but then he started coming out against um You Amy. shouldn't use that term about him. What's that? Coming out. Oh, my goodness. Uh, he started uh, attacking uh, Klobuchar, Amy Klobuchar, because she couldn't remember the, the new president of Mexico. Uh, I don't know the names of... Uh, I don't know the, your name, Dave. I know. That's, right, and these people are... That's my excuse. Exactly. And so it's just... <laughs> But the truth is, look, it was just such a silly stretch on his part. Oh, my goodness. You forgot the guy's name. He's been in office for like a moment. And and, and what's yeah. the best Klobuchar? Are you calling me dumb? I, I thought what her response. That? Come on. I thought her response was decent. Her response was, you mean I, I could not be a president because I forgot some guy's name? Really? Really? It was just This is what's they're, they're devolving into silly arguments. Well, yeah. They're, right. They're they're in a circular firing squad they right now. They absolutely are. They absolutely and, are. And all of the blood on the ground is Democrat. That's right. Just saying. And Bloomberg was so unprepared. Apparently he did prepare, but he did. I don't know what he prepared for, but all the questions that were posed to him were obvious. And he had no answers. He was flubbing it left and right. And if there was any doubt before notwithstanding the booze from Warren when she groaned and moaned. Oh, yeah. When um, Bloomberg aptly said about Bernie Sanders, well, you're just talking about communism. Ooh, says Warren. Ooh. Ooh. You know, How does Warren get off saying that she's a capitalist? Right, right. And then she supports all of these oh my God. socialist and communistic ideas. But Bernie, by the way, is just a propaganda machine oh, yeah. from the 1960s communism. communists. I heard an old tape of him and his wife, and they're talking about, we went to the Soviet Union, and we went to the Palace of Culture. You know what the Palace of Culture is? It's that building that they plopped around all over Eastern Europe as the tallest building in each city to show their domination. When I worked in Poland, I worked in the building that was once the Palace of Culture, that then taken over by the Poles after they kicked out the communists. Hey, do- 
And do, do we know that did, did Bernie when he went when he was over in uh, in Russia did he go by and pay his respects to you know Papa Stalin? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But the, it, the, you you heard them talk, and it was just the typical propaganda. Well, I went there, and they all seemed real nice, and they all seemed real good. <laughs> oh, really? Because, that's the way it is until right? they put you in the room, put the gun to the back of your head. That's right. What about all the other people st- uh, starving? And he l- literally said, well, bread lines are better than no bread lines because <laughs> bread lines means there's bread available. Without bread lines, that means there's no bread available. No, uh, it don't. Do you remember cr- the story about... Nikita, uh, Nikita Khrushchev's wife. No. When she came to America with him. No. She walked in a supermarket right. and began to cry. Right. She'd right. never seen that much food exactly. in one area. That's right. Because you know what no bread lines means? It means you actually could buy bread without waiting on the line from uh, that provided by the government who decides how much bread is made and who gets it. That's, that's right. That's why they had bread lines. Yeah, because, that's all. That's that whole central government thing. That's buddy. right. Right, because central government can plan exactly what is needed for bread. Five years down the road. Five years down the road (laughs) versus you going to the store and you say, I need bread. And if they say, well, we don't have any, you go to the next store and the first one shuts down. And Mm -hmm. so they realize, guess what? Maybe tomorrow we better order more bread. Run on bread. Right. It looks like Arkansas and uh, just before snow. Exactly. Exactly. Run on bread and milk. That's right. So that's the the beauty of the capitalist society is there is no central government making these decisions. You know, make, makes the decisions, Dave. You and I, the we market. go to the store, right? But the, just to be clear, the market is not some central decision making no. authority. It's you and me going to the store, and when the store runs out of bread, they say, "Well, you know, we want to make more money, and we don't want people to go to other stores. Maybe we so should have more bread we'll tomorrow. Have more bread or tomorrow. Yep. More bread tomorrow. That's the way it works. Indeed. Amazing how well it works. Too. Indeed. It's uh, you know, freely exchanged rights of trade. That's right. And it's made by you and me, mm-hmm. not by some third party telling us what's good or bad for us. And what needs to be in the recipe. That's right. That's, that's the other thing to remember. Uh, we got a minute and a half. Omar is in trouble. Is she? Yeah, because uh, the, the tribal leader back in Africa said, yeah, she married her brother. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he come out. Now they know for a fact she married her brother. Why? He said she told him that she did it to make it sure that he could get into the United States. Yeah, immigration That fraud. is a felony. Of course it is. That is, it is a huge felony with is. jail time attached to it. Right. She might not be the congressional representative from St. Paul, uh, Minnesota very much longer. Well, one way or the and other. And rightly so. One way or the other. I'll be glad when she's out of that office. I will, too. Absolutely. All right, we're done for the week. Dude, it's always good to have you come in. Great to be here. It was a lot of fun. We want to thank uh, Congressman Hill for joining us. Uh, To uh, Evelyn Gomez, who joined us, we thank her on short notice, uh, taking on some difficult subjects. And then Jeff Kenley, uh, the author of Interview with the Antichrist, thanks to him for coming in Monday. We'll get the power panel in here. Hopefully Jan Morgan will join us again here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Until then, remember, God gave you a whole week of life. You give him one hour this weekend. Find out what he's got to tell you. We'll be back with you on Monday at 6 a.m.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.